greetings lovely people and welcome to the dreading the shed podcast i am daddy cam of the one love army and i am in the shed telling my stories welcome listeners and thank you for joining me now (laughs) where was i i was in 1982 and i was telling stories about not sleeping with women and a rubber rat anyway anyway so uh, i'm gonna delve into 1982 some more and i mentioned in a previous episode a friend of mine called Sandra Francis. Ah, there you go. Now then, how am I going to start this one? Um, I'm not going to give you the title. I'm going to leave that um, for later. But I know what it is. It's a secret. Well, anyway, you'll find out. Anyway, you found out already if you're listening to it. Anyway, um, Sandra. Now then, there is an old scar tune called Swan Lake. Now, I mention it because it was one of the few um, seven-inch discs, vinyl discs, that came into the John household while we while we were young. You know, we didn't have that many records, but I do remember this um, old Scar Blue Beat um, record, and it was um, a Scar Blue Beat version of Swan Lake. It was by a band called The Cats. Okay, so we I love this tune and if you go on YouTube you might be able to find it anyway. So Sandra played on that record. Now along with a fella called Chris Blackwell, I don't know who else was there, but Chris Blackwell was um, the founder of Island Records, as uh, a lot of you may well know. Um, he played on that tune, as did Sunra, and Sunra played on that tune, so that was with a band called The Cats. I think he also played with a band called, I think he played with The Simmerons for a while. Um, he seemed to know lots of musicians, so Sunra Francis. Um, as I mentioned, I met him, it would have been late 81, early 82, and um, he became a companion for, you know, quite a few years, I think throughout the 80s. I mentioned before that he'd been born in Ethiopia, smuggled to Sierra Leone, came to England as a seven-year-old, was labelled beyond parental control by the age of nine after um, setting fire to a few warehouses, went to a naval school, was in the RAF and was in the army and was a British army boxing champion at some stage. I think that's as much as I told you about Sandra. Um, Anyway, I did mention he was a most remarkable person. So I got to know Sandra and Sandra, firstly, Sandra used to greet me by kissing me on both cheeks he explained it wasn't a sexual thing it was just his way of greeting me he took a shine to me he claimed to have known me in another life and he gave me the name Cochise and uh, Cochise is a native American uh, of legendary status Um, and Sanra also claimed to be um, Geronimo in another, in another life. So he was Geronimo and I was Cochise and we were reunited in this life as Sunra and Cameron. There you go. So, um, so Sunra was remarkable. He 
taught me and um, showed me and, and spoke about so many things. He told me how he used to go astral projecting, which was the first time that anyone spoke to me about such a thing. He said he used to um, go and visit the pyramids at Giza and he'd seen my pyramid. Now, I don't know who else he thought I was because I know Cochise doesn't have a pyramid in, e in Egypt, um, but he claimed I had a pyramid in Egypt too, which was marvelous and nice to know. I'm not going to doubt him. He never lied to me. He was the most honest, honest fellow and um, truthful. And um, he spoke quite a few different languages. And um, he also seemed to instantly recognize fellow Muslims in the street. It, it, you know, even if they weren't wearing particular attire, he would seem to know, know them and uh, salam alaikum and he was the one who taught me about um, salam alaikum peace be upon you and alaikum el salam something like that um, you know um, uh, upon you be peace so that was the Muslim greeting so I learned that you know I think he introduced me to the Quran and gave me uh, a, a real you know lovely big um, version of the Quran um, anyway he as I say played many instruments as well so he'd, he'd play the saxophone he played the guitar he played the violin he'd compose music so he wrote music um, a really remarkable fella um, I tell people one story about him now Sunra joined um, talk over at some point he played saxophone at some point and um, it was in the latter days of talk over um, and he we used to travel down to Brixton uh, I was going from Islington uh, on the tube and uh, and he used to talk a lot and uh, people think I talk a lot but someone I could talk and very interesting man so many so many facts and interesting stories um, but you know I was weary by the time we're traveling home after a rehearsal in Brixton I'm weary and it's, a, it's the train from um, Victoria line from Brixton to Highbury and Islington so it's quite a few stops and uh, and I'm sitting there and I think he could tell that I was flagging a bit and not really you know wanting conversation and sitting just across from us were um, an elderly couple white haired gentleman white haired old lady and he had one leg he had a, well half a leg missing um, I think it had been amputated um, just above the knee and um, he was sitting there and sunrise kind of sensing that you know, I'm not really into the conversation and then he he turns to this um, elderly gentleman and says to me, "Excuse me, sir." I said, oh, man, I said "Yes." He said, uh, uh, "Do you mind if I ask you a question?" And uh, I mean, he, he did have a very deep Cockney voice, and I bet he he spoke very you know he could speak very polite English as well, like myself. And uh, he um, <laughs> we're not in airplane mode, anyway. So um, so he said to the fellow um what do you think of the tactics used by Rommel in and he named this battle in the desert and um, and the maneuvers that were used and the strategies used and he asked this fellow about it and it turns out I think this fellow was actually there <laughs> and uh, they began an amazing discourse amazing discussion about this battle and the different strategies used and I was gobsmacked I thought wow I mean if you look at Sun Ra and I've mentioned he was always in his Muslim robes he carried a shepherd's crook uh, a little Muslim cap as it were sunglasses very dark African tooth missing and uh, and this 
elderly English gentleman and the most amazing discussion took place and uh, and I think I think the old man was amazed I certainly was but that was the kind of uh, man that uh, Sunra was um, I'll tell you another story it's not from 1982 um, but it's from um, a little later it was up in 1983 now then the we've all heard of Live Aid and um, the famine in Ethiopia. Now, Live Aid took place in 1984. Bob Geldof and a lot of uh, pop stars got together. Everyone knows the story and raised money for the famine for the starving people in Ethiopia. Now, the year before that, there was a famine in Ethiopia. That was 1983. And uh, Sun Ra was well aware of it, as, as was I. And we decided to do something about it. We thought we'd put on a musical event, get some bands in, and um, raise some money um, to send to Ethiopia. So um, we started off by writing to people like Ken Livingstone, who was the um, head of the GLC at the, the Greater London Council at the time. And we wrote to him, and there was no response. We wrote to other MPs, there was no response. Um, we wrote to celebrities there was no response in the end we went ahead and we put on a benefit gig at Clissold Park we went round with buckets and raised maybe a hundred pound or you know something you know not a lot with two p pieces and ten p pieces and uh, what have you but but no one no one helped us and then the following year you can imagine when Bob Geldof jumps up and there's this famine on and, um, and suddenly everyone's on board and you know i'm sure ken livingstone was on board but we had harangued people and you know someone was um very active and he made me write letters to these people <laughs> and so on and so forth so um and we had we'd gone on about it in 1983 and no one wanted to know um anyway now i was later to find out the reason why they were reluctant in 1983 and apparently it was because now russia had a big interest in Ethiopia. Um, they'd been behind the coup that had deposed His Imperial Majesty Emperor Haile Selassie in 1974. Um, and they'd um, put a fellow called Mengistu who was a Marxist um, as the president of Ethiopia um, so you know the the government in, in Ethiopia was Russian backed at the time now then un, unknown unbeknownst to myself and Sanra when money was getting sent to Ethiopia originally apparently for the famine in 1983 and what have you it was being siphoned off by the Russian government to finance their war in Afghanistan. Now, um, if you remember, Russia invaded Afghanistan long before America did. Um, and that was the reason why America set up the Mujahideen um, at the time. And, and that was a fellow called Osama bin Laden was their, was their asset at the time. But that's another story. Um, anyway, so, so apparently the reason why um, people and politicians weren't on board was because they knew, uh, or people in the know knew, that the money was getting siphoned off. Anyway, that's just a little bit of background there. So, um, I was going to tell you another story about Sunra, and I will very quickly. Um, Sunra, now then, when we were about to do this gig, this concert, 
I had some exams um, coming up and we'd drawn up some contracts for some, I don't know who, we had to maybe fill out some forms for, for the council to get permission to use the park and so on. And um, I had, uh, I had at the time a pregnant Kate, so she would have been quite heavily pregnant at the time, 1983, I had exams um, for my course at the Polytechnic, and so I'd asked people to leave me alone for a couple of weeks and not to disturb me, but it was important, um, son I felt at the time, to um, get me to sign these papers for the council. So he turned up about, I don't know, 10, half 10, maybe 11 o'clock at night, rung the doorbell, and... Um, so I went downstairs, um, we lived on the second floor, went downstairs and there's son at the door with these papers in his hand and he said, I'm so sorry, uh, we need to get these in for the morning and, and so on and so forth. And anyway, with son, there was this fella, um, white fella, quite stocky, you know, maybe, you know, 5'10". And he looked, oh, and he thought he knew me. Now, my face was quite well known because I played in bands and done gigs everywhere. And he, he was a little bit drunk. He was holding a whiskey bottle and he started chatting away to me and um, Sunra turned to him and said look I told you I'm not supposed to be here it's late I don't want you to, don't want you to talk do not I told you do not speak okay right and so, so Sunra told him and then he's gone on to show me the papers and I've signed the papers anyway the fellow kept interjecting and Sunra turned to him listen I told you no bullshit and he kept telling him stop it you know no but I told you anyway so I signed the papers I was heading off up the stairs, halfway upstairs, and Sunrise left with this fella. I've heard crash, like smashing glass. So this bottle has been broken. Um, as I've got upstairs, looked out the window, there's this broken whiskey bottle in the car park downstairs. Great. <laughs> oh dear, you know, broken glass in a car park. Not good. Anyway, so, and I see Sunra and this fella walking out of Dibden Street and going out onto Essex Road. Uh, the fella went off to the left, Sunra went off to the right. However, this fella was shouting some abuse back at Sunra. I think, um, obviously, Sunra hadn't wanted him to make any noise. He dropped the ball, smashed the ball. Sunra probably told him off again. And they've, you know, gone their separate ways. But he was shouting back, um, back down Essex Road to Sunra. Anyway, then I saw, he's got louder and louder, and then I saw him huffing, stalk, you know, like when someone's going for a fight, and I saw him marching back down, going the way Sunra had gone. And he's gone down, and then I heard, which was, you know, those um, mesh <laughs> in front of the shops, the wire grills. Um, it was like one of those, and then silence, or nothing. And then the following morning, um, following morning, I saw Sunrise, and he'd got, he'd got the forms into the council, and uh, I said to him, you know, what happened last night? And um, he explained the guy had dropped the bottle, and yes, he had told him off. And um, they, and then he'd gone, and then the fellow had got louder and louder, and then the fellow wanted to fight him, and the fellow would come down the road, which I'd seen, gone storming down to uh, to steam into Sunra. <laughs> well, what happened next was I had I have mentioned that Sunra was British Army boxing champion. He wasn't small; he was six foot two, six three, maybe, you know. Anyway, the the the. The mesh on the on the uh, shutters of the the shop going. Um, that was basically Sunra knocked him out with one punch, and uh, and then picked him up, put him over his shoulder, and uh, walked him home 
and uh, and left him on his doorstep. He said the fella came around the next day and, and apologised, and uh, the next morning and apologised. So all was well. Um, but that was Sunra, a perfect gentleman. I mean, he knocked the fella out and um, and then carried him home. And uh, anyway, just a little bit about Sunra there, a little bonus episode for you because I said I'd do one uh, about him at some point. Very interesting fellow. I'm sure he he will pop up uh, once or twice in the in the episodes that are to come. Um, but I'm gonna leave it there, and uh, well, you'll see the title when I put it on. But um, it remains for me to say thank you for listening. One Love Army, I salute you. All of my listeners, I salute you. And from the dread in the shed, wherever you are in the world, it's blessed love to all mankind. Give thanks.